There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke, and I apologize for this delay over the holiday season. I've had numerous things kind of interfere. Of course, if you've ever tried to schedule anything yourself uh, with other friends, you know that, well, December is just not a good month for anyone, and that's kind of what it turned into. And then I had a coughing fit for a while, for about two, three weeks, and uh, now we are finally back at it. And so, again, thank you to all of you who listen that support through Patreon. Um good news we now have our sixth and final sponsor of course i'm not going to waste any more of your listening time uh with more than six i think that's a fine number and then uh, we can get right into the the meat of the episodes each each uh, time i record these anyway with that in mind of course again thank you all and if you would please if you find a good episode that you think your friend could learn from or just enjoy the conversation Uh, share it uh, with someone new. Uh, With that also in mind, I think we'll just introduce the new sponsor, and that is Wild Card Outfitters and Guide Service, a Michigan-based outfitter specializing in mentoring new hunters with an educational and positive experience in the outdoors, offering upland bird hunting for rough grouse and woodcock, walleye charters, waterfowl hunting, guided bear hunts, and more. Contact Wildcard Outfitters and Guide Service for one of these unforgettable experiences. We're going to add one more to that second chance bird dogs. A perfect fit doesn't always happen for a puppy. A dog at second chance learns its job. Guns, birds, and teamwork with the handler are the milestones along a journey to a new home and life. The training a second chance bird dog receives helps it make the most of its second chance. And with that, we'll get into this one. This is a shotgunning episode. This is somebody who uh, made it a good close contest with me last spring, and then when it came down to final score, kind of got a, I got a little bit of a whooping on the trap field. But uh, Joe Bowles is here tonight, and we're going to talk shotguns. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I like to have people who know more than me. Um, I'd rather people hear stuff from experts. But uh, with, with that, you, um, we always start out with a couple of easy ones here. And uh, what got you into the level of shotgunning you're at? You know, where was your beginning? Well, back in the 
1970s, so like 1976, um, my dad was a member of Multi Lakes Conservation Club, and he, you know, got me a job when I was 12 years old being a trap boy. So I was a trap boy for four years there. So I kind of um, I found it really interesting, you know. And um, I would borrow the uh, the guy who ran the place, an uh, old guy, uh, John Sapsford. I would borrow his 1100 and um burn up all my uh money i made <laughs> hey, it was it's always been an expensive sport that's what i think a lot of people uh they don't realize it's always been expensive mm-hmm. and back then it was it was expensive too uh, you know yep. so um yeah so everything's relative you know <laughs> right so, yeah yeah and, then uh... I, yeah then i got back into i, I started getting into competition shooting uh, more heavily uh, probably in the early 90s, um, got into trap shooting, the ATA shooting. Um, and then um, from there, I did uh, got into sporting clay shooting, um, uh, made it up to master class. Ooh, big, you know, it's not a big deal. A lot of people are in master class. But um, so that's where I'm at now. I, and, uh, you know, it's, it's always great it's out there <laughs> shooting. Yep, and it's, and I, I of course I've met you at a side by side shoot, which is not your typical ATA or or sporting clays uh, kind of event, but uh, in that case too, that's a, it's a great side by side group with a lot of Michigan members here. Oh God, yeah, it's 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 wonderful it's camaraderie with that group, and it's just nice to go out and and not have the kind of pressure that you have. Um, Speak at for an yourself, interview, you know. Speak for uh, yourself. I mean, it's not the kind of, it's not the kind of real, it's, it's fun. They're fun shoots, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> I, there's no, no I, money involved. Or I had a lot of money writing on that day. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You, you had a whole list of uh, people who go, what, what butt on? I, yeah. I, luckily I, uh, I was able to, to cash the check. My mouth was writing there, um, <laughs> in most of the ways, but, oh, uh, you did pretty good. I'll admit that was probably the best shooting day I had had in about three years. And, yeah, uh, you, yeah. I think but, you got me on one. You got me on one, I think, on sporting clays. You got me one on skate, but uh, you, kind of, you kind of dropped it on the trap field, didn't you? Oh, wow. <laughs> trap trap. normally, you were going to make up two targets on me in trap, no matter what you were shooting. You could have did it with a twenty-two. Um, <laughs> make it wobble trap and... Anybody with with any amount of luck will beat me, and that was my yeah. Achilles' heel. Yeah, he had those targets set up pretty good too. I, I, I believe uh, <laughs> it, it was not it was not your he's t- typical normal wobble trap. No, and uh, well, he was there to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? And yeah, uh, and exactly. that's what he did. He he got me good there, but uh, you know, and that all went to habitat. That was all good stuff there. That uh, and I'll do it again this year. Um, Coming up in March. I know I've got it on the calendar, and uh, I'm excited. I'll have had zero practice probably by then. Um, it'll be the year of me getting beat by more guys and more habitat money raised. Yeah, but yeah, the, more. It's about money, You're raising money. Yeah, it, it was there, yeah. and uh, but one of the things you know this group does is is a lot of it's focused on on the traditions of hunting. That whole group there, and you know the side by side aficionados and stuff like that really aren't big into the target scene you know they they don't quite geek out over 
the little stuff that makes targets break, but uh, no, they but they do geek out. Yeah, they they do, and I I kind of liken them to uh, like the muzzle loader group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a better uh, gun of choice than a muzzle loader out in the woods? Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, you know, a better you know gun than a, a side by side out in the woods? Well, technically, yeah, you know. Um, but you you I, I found with that group, the side by side group, though, you have your real purists. And then you have the people, they just, they're out there to have fun. They just mm-hmm. grab their dad side by side or whatever, you know. And um, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. A lot of these guns are quite old. Yep. Yeah. But, but then they get to talking about things and right in the way that you and your circles are going to sit down and chat about a target gun. They start talking about the, the game gun, right? The, the specialist mm-hmm. tool. Yeah. Um, and that's what a lot of us shoot as some form of that, right? I don't, I mean, it, it may oh, yeah. seem, it may seem like I break a few targets, but not as if I'd have had a, a perfectly weighted over under, you know, an extra pound yeah. on the gun would have helped me. Yeah, definitely. The, the difference is, you know, these, um, these field guns, they're, they're lighter. I mean, if you, my first, um, gun shotgun that I bought, I put on layaway for Kmart. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, you know, it, t- it seemed like it took me forever. It was a 12 gauge 1100, and I thought I'm going to go out and uh, shoot birds with this thing. Well, lugging that thing around after after about <laughs> you know a couple blocks, I was huffing and puffing. It just that wasn't that was no fun. Yeah, um, that's a duck so, blind gun. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the the field guns, as as you know, they're they're lighter. Uh, the dimensions on the stock and everything are different. They're they're generally the, the length of pull is less, so it can come up quicker. Hmm. Um, they tend to have more drop, um, and it's um, little shorter barrels. You don't want the barrel, you know, dragging to the brush and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, with the target guns on the sporting place course, now. With the uh, over and under is pretty much your standard issues, 32 inch, um, and with the the field guns, 26, 28 are, are just fine. They come up very fast. Yeah. Um, it, and it depends on your stature too. If you're, you know, if you're only five foot four, you don't want to be carrying around a gun with a long barrel. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a, a taller guy can definitely handle more but it, it's 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 all it's a different um tip, different mechanics totally than a, a target gun yep usually there's yeah. there's issues too the rib right the rib is going to be different is there a, yeah is there you're a... going to have a lower rib or mm-hmm. no rib at all mm-hmm. uh, like um on these they side by sides a lot of them don't have any there's just a mid rib where um it, it's you know the barrels are fused together um and the beat at the front i mean uh, i shoot that um fausty dea and there is like no rib to speak of on that gun i put mm-hmm. one on recently because it was driving me crazy but <laughs> i mean i i'm a target i'm a target guy you know yep and i so, shoot a solid mid rib i was right. you know and i learned on a on a ventilated rib over under so not having one just 
it doesn't look right visually, which then makes it a distraction. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I I like to to look down a rib, um, <laughs> but you know uh, that said, I put this rib on and I I'm having a hard time with it. I just haven't been able to take the time to to go to the parenting board yet. Mm -hmm. um, I did this recently with that gun. Okay. What are is there a dimension difference? And I, I thought I had heard this before somewhere else. If a company was to make a sporter gun and a game gun, um, even in the same model, do they shrink the action a little bit? Now I had heard, you know, it may even be a couple of millimeters difference in width, you know, trying to get a little more of a, a feel. Well, it, it depends on the manufacturer. If you're, mm -hmm. if it's one of the high end guns then yes. Um, if it's one of the mass-produced guns, they just slap a different barrel on and a different stock, and they call it a field gun, or they just mm -hmm. the opposite. They they usually start with a field gun and um, make a target version of it by simply putting a different stock and barrel on it, um, okay. something with a rib, you know. Um, but the higher-end guns, well, yeah, you're going to see slight dimensional changes, and um, you know to, to make it lighter. Mm -hmm. You're definitely going to see diff, um, different the way they do the stocks. They're, I mean, they're really hogged out on the inside. Anything to get more weight out of them, um, because I mean, you don't want to carry a gun that's eight pounds, nine pounds around. It'd be great to carry a gun that's five, five and a half, six pounds at the most mm -hmm. around. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that's the big difference there. Um, and for that, and most uh, most of them don't have like a mid bead. Most field guns don't have a mid bead or anything. You just got a front bead. Um, the target guns have a mid bead, and the mid bead is is strictly for fit. Okay, mm -hmm. um, so you, you just when you pick up the gun, you want to make sure the beads are lined up, not the mid bead, not to the right or to the left. Now. Um, you hear people talk about, you know, the snowman. You go and see a figure eight or snowman when you mount the gun. That's not necessarily true. Um, what 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 the figure eight is for is when a manufacturer advertises a gun, like a Browning, for instance, uh, CX uh, being 50-50, they mean bead stacked at a, at a given distance. Hmm. And um, so that's how they determine the point of impact on that gun is advertised. Okay. You know. Other than that, stacking the beats doesn't mean anything. Get it out of your head, you know. <laughs> right, and when and when they fall, a lot of things I think people need to get out of it. <laughs> right, right. That yeah. that game gun, right? We we like the traditional stuff. Um, you know, you're gonna see more of the English stock or the Prince of Wales grip that I like, that half pistol. Um, you're yeah. you're gonna see stuff with no palm swell, right? Anything to get the weight down. Um, yeah. How much is weight? Is there is there such a thing as too light on a on a game gun? Well, the problem with it being too light is you're going to get more recoil. Um, it's not felt. There's a difference. Okay, there's felt recoil and actual recoil. Mm -hmm. um, recoil is, you know, the, the the true recoil that you're getting. Felt recoil, you can make a gun feel like it has mm -hmm. less recoil by just having it fit better. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, you're still throwing X mass at Y velocity, but 
it feels a lot better because my pitch is correct. My drop at home is correct. Um, so there's a lot of things that can cause discomfort um, when shooting and those stock dimensions. Like um, if the pitch isn't right, people get uh, slapped in the cheek. Mm-hmm. Or I've had it where people have too much drop. You know, when you pull the trigger, the gun is essentially coming back so fast. It's done in it's an instant. It's coming back and pounding your cheek. Mm-hmm. Or and not enough drop does it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like my my target guns, I, I set them up pretty much with parallel stock. So I'm, I'll make it so they're parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the top of the comb is parallel with the rib or in some cases with the bore of the gun. If it's like an adjustable rib gun, you have to make a parallel something so it's, it's parallel to bore. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that configuration because no matter where my face is on the stock, I have the same, um, you know, I, you know, the same, you know, looking down the barrel is the same yep. and uh, same dimensions and everything. Right, and the one insight sure is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, and and part of the advantage of that parallel comb, if you're going to have stock work done, is it's cold enough for a jacket one day, and my cheek is going to hit the stock in the spot that puts my eye in the proper position to shoot well. When I right. shoot then in the summer, and I'm in a a nice shirt with no extra padding, with no extra coat, or with no extra sweater, my cheek still hits the stock in a position where my eye sees where it's supposed to. And therefore, right. my my shooting doesn't change as far as the gun fit. Right. So, but I mean, theoretically, your, your gun might shoot a little bit higher if you have drop, because mm-hmm. your eye is further forward on on the comb, thus elevating it. Yeah. Um. You know, whether it's going to make a difference that you're going to notice, who knows? Unless it's uh, outside a thirty-inch pattern, I don't think I'm going to notice. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, but I'll obsess yeah. about it all afternoon while I'm shooting. Yeah. 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 It's always something to think about. Yeah. Yep. Um, so along the lines of, of finding that game gun, right. And some of the attributes of it, you know, light, um, a little less, less bulky, right. In the dimensions. If you were to go to a, a gun store you know, an old an old shotgun store or even a new box store, and you're looking for a gun to shoot birds with, what are some of the things that you would do if you're going to find a gun that works for you? Well, I'd, I'd like to pick up a gun and just have it feel right for me. Uh, what I mean by that is I pick it up and the length of pull feels right, okay? Measuring length of pull, how it's actually done is when you pick up the gun and... You're, when you're gripping the gun, the distance between the tip of your nose and the first joint in your thumb that's gripping that gun should be about two fingers step. Okay. Hmm. Um, so if, if it's a lot closer than that, then you stand the risk of essentially punching yourself in the nose when you take a mm-hmm. shot. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, a little longer. I, I, I'm not really, I like to pull as long as it's kind of in the ballpark, you're okay. Uh, it's not the most important dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important dimension is drop at comb. Um, that's where the line from going down your rib, that if you run it all the way down to the, the stock, that drop there at the comb area, okay? Mm-hmm. That's what dictates your actual point of impact. 
Um, so, you know, the, the, what I'm looking for is a gun that generally I feel fits me well, and it has a good feel to it. Does the forearm feel well? There's certain forearms I don't like. You know, I don't like those beaver tail forearms. Um, I like a rather narrow forearm. I don't have real big hands, so mm -hmm. those kind of uh, forearms feel feel better to me. And I can shoot better with them. I have more control of the gun. Um, I just, you know, I, I have a good firm grip on on the gun when I'm shooting. Um, that's something I was taught. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, by some really good top shooters. So, um, so to, so to clarify, a guy that does some shooting, but maybe not a bunch. He'll be somewhat practiced in his gun mount, right? And you, even in the store then, if your gun mount comes up and nothing snags on your clothes to that gun mm -hmm. coming to your shoulder and your eye appears where it's supposed to be looking down the rib, not above it, not below it. Yeah. That's pretty much a good judge right there of that drop it's, it comb. It's a good judge, yeah. Okay. And also, you know, a lot of times close my eyes, mount the gun with my eyes closed, so then open your eyes and look down the barrel. I mean, when the gun's comfortable, oh, mm -hmm. open your eyes. Does it look right? Um, yeah. You know, the field gun is is the stock dimensions are generally narrower too, so you can get into the gun and make it work. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm. it's not really fitting you; you're fitting it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like. A good example would be like the Remington products, like the 870s and, and such. If you look at those stocks, they're very narrow. And um, what what it does is you can get into that gun and, and, and make it work, you know. And yeah. A lot of people say, oh, this, these Remingtons, they fit me perfect. Well, actually, you're fitting it. It's not fitting you. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, you'll, you'll do okay with it, but you generally people will hit a wall. And mm -hmm. don't go any further without the, you know, gun fitting being done, you know. Right, right. And up until then, you have a lot of skill you can develop on a gun that you're making work. Yeah, yeah. You, you make it worse. And, you know, also you can, you know, you can get used to a gun, okay? Yep. A funny story is, you remember that 1100 I was telling you about, the first one I had? Mm -hmm. um, well, I ran a hundred straight with it in, in ski back back then, uh, early '80s, and I was so proud. I got a patch and everything. I still got that framed in in my garage, you know, because that was the first time I ran a hundred straight. Yeah. But then, you know, time went by, and it's like, oh, these people are shooting these Berettas, and uh, they don't break. You know, eleven hundred breaking all the time. Um, they're great guns, but you better have a bag of parts and an extra gun. When I was competing with them, I had an extra gun with me. And uh, so I, I, I bought this uh, 391 when they first came out. I was like the first guy on the block to have one in the, like, the whole state. Hmm. And I couldn't hit nothing with it. So um, a guy that used to, he passed away. He, it just goes to show you don't really need to be a great shooter to know what you're talking about. Um, Cause I do know a lot of great shooters that are not good instructors, but sometimes you meet people that they're not the best shot, but they really do know what they're talking about. And that's what, how this guy was. And he told me, he said, Joe, let's go to the padding board. You bring your old 1100 and bring that to Greta. So I did. And we found a hundred shot like a foot low. I was just used to it. The Bretto was spot on. 
Mm-hmm. And once I saw that picture, uh, then I started shooting the Bredemost much better. But you can, you, if you go shoot one gun, you, I've seen people totally get used to it, and they're just their brain just does it. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. they know where they have to put it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. weird, but it, it's true. Yep, it it is, and uh, in one of those. I guess one of those dimension issues too, right? You're in the store. Is there something to with it with a gun? Maybe like you said, the hand feel. Mm-hmm. How vital is that in a gun, especially a game gun? I, I think it's important because you're gonna have have to have this gun come up quick. Okay, mm-hmm. and these guns, the, your field guns, generally you don't have an adjustable comb and adjustable butt plate and, and all this other stuff that can snag and, and add weight. Um, so uh, another thing is, you know, you may mount that gun right and feel right, but are those barrels actually shooting straight? And that's another thing we should probably touch on. Yeah. Um, that's next on my list. I, yeah. Because, um, you know, what I do for a living, I fit, guns and i modify the stocks and i'm at the pattern book quite a bit and uh it's really surprising how many guns are screwed up the barrels are just shooting in two different places or you know they're they're shooting in the same place but it's way off i mean it's Mm -hmm. way low and left or whatever um and these are not always cheap guns that are like that i mean i've seen very very expensive guns are totally screwed up. You know? hmm. Yeah. Ferrazzi's, Craig Goff's, I mean, <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, uh, usually yeah. when you buy a Craig Goff or a Ferrazzi, you can pretty much bet they're, they're going to be good. But I have seen ones that were messed up. Hmm. Yep, and I've I've taken everything to the patterning board at least one or two times. And yeah. it's it's mainly to refresh my memory, and this is something, too, if you're a game shooter, Sometimes the visualization of just how big a 20-inch circle is, how big a 30-inch circle is, how far that 25 paces is, you know, what does my modified choke do over a flushing dog versus a pointing dog? You know, just to get in your mind, that patterning board is like, hey, here's where all the pellets went. Yep, it's it's, it's important to see that, too. Yeah, yep, Um, and while you're at it, if your gun shoots 60% high, like those old Brownings I had for the longest time did, it was perfectly patterned. Versus another gun we shot here that turned out to be 100% low. Um, mm-hmm. You can explain a lot of how you didn't get anything done with that gun. Um, oh, sometimes yeah. on the board. Yep, you, you can. Um, and like you said, if, if your, your gun does have chokes, to to see how those chokes pattern at different ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to show people what a full choke looks like at 50 yards you'd be amazed how open it is at 50 yards. Yeah. Um, you're talking, you know, four foot circle or more. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or more. Yeah. Now, while, you know, in the field, the field guys, they, they usually don't take shots that far. Um, but in sporting clays and trap, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to be taking shots that far or further, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, a lot of people, well, fool is awfully tight. No, no, actually, it depends on the game. Um, <laughs> yep. When I, when I shoot, I generally have a mod and a proof mod in my barrels. Um, 
even the close shots. You, you, you're on them, you're on them, okay? Yep. Uh, yep. That's... So, yeah, and the, the, another thing about the parroting board, um, there's there's a big caveat to the parroting board. It, it can cause more confusion to people than any other device. I get people all the time that come over, okay, Joe, this gun's shooting um, high and left. Well, you're right-handed. Now, right-hand shooter will tend to pull left and high at a stationary target. And um, and left-hand shooter, just the opposite. He'll shoot right and high. And this mm-hmm. because they're not using the kind of cheek pressure that they do uh, on a target or a game. Okay, they're really into the gun then. Um, they're just kind of, at the pairing board, they're just kind of mounting it softly. So that's why I, I kind of have put no credence in, in findings when people are just holding the gun up to the parroting board. Um, I think a bench rest needs to be involved. Um, right. You want to, to treat it, a, treat it more like right. a rifle. You want trigger squeeze. You want all the things to yeah. be, take the human yeah. element out. Yeah. Take the human element out. Totally. So mm-hmm. I, I think that if somebody's, if you're interested in buying a gun from somebody, um, if you could have an, a gentleman's agreement with them, say, look, I want to take this to the parent board, make sure the barrels are good. If they're good, hey, we, we got a deal. Um, because if your barrels are messed up, there's nothing you can do. No amount of stock work you can do is not going to help that. So mm-hmm. the gun's pretty much useless. Um, right. So, so I check it at a parent rest. What, what I really do with, with my target guns is I check them on a, on a, um, on a bench rest, just to make sure that the barrels are well regulated. Okay, mm-hmm. with sporting clays guns, I'm 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 checking them at 20 yards. I'm going for what your average shot is in sporting clays. The average shot's about 20 yards. Yeah. So, you know, th- th- none of this is super precise stuff. You know, and you can drive yourself crazy with it. Um, you can you can make it as simple or as complicated as you like. There's no limits, but I'm, I'm, I'm checking to see if both barrels are shooting in the same spot and in the correct spot. Okay. Mm-hmm. If they're not, I don't want the gun then. You know, it's, it's just not going to work. So, yep. you know, you, you know, I understand sometimes people just got to take a chance and I've done that lots of times. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised or very, uh, uh, very upset, you know? Yeah. It's a, couple of those those things too and i want to get into this right after our next two sponsors the first one collar clinic located in northern michigan and providing e-collar gps and other dog related electronics since 1988 collar clinic provides new and reconditioned systems and accessories of many major brands they also repair current and older systems and when you're ready to upgrade also have a trade-in program for working and that non-working system Get the tools you need to make your dog exceptional at Collar Clinic. And be sure to use the discount code BIRDCAMP on your next purchase. Also, Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs, located in Central Upper Peninsula, offering grouse-centered dog training and home to Uncle Grouse. Aspen Thicket knows that the rough grouse is essential to developing the skills to effectively pursue the king. From puppy development through finished dog work, you can trust Uncle Grouse with your hunting companion. If you're dissatisfied with your grouse hunting, try doing what your uncle told you to do. With that, back to moving through point of impact, the things that we think about 
um, in our game shooting, right? How many times have you seen, and I know you've done some hunting as well, where the guy with that side-by-side or over-under or, you know, even, I'll even say I'm guilty a few times duck hunting, you put the first shell in, okay, that's my close-range shell. You know, the second shell, I'm going to have to switch ammo on that one. I need I need a bigger shot size. And then, you know, in the auto, make sure the third shell is is a magnum something different again. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then, and I get in trouble with this because I do it. And I don't do it because necessarily I know what I'm doing. It's just that when I reached into my vest and grabbed some shells, I realized I'm looking at a, a Super X 7.5 and, and a Federal 6. I'm like, well... These are the two, so I'll just put the seven and a halves in first, six is second. Um, you know, and if it's in the auto, who knows what went into the chamber. You're just shoving yellow hulls in there until you're full again. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I think people read way too much into that. Um, what, back, yeah. yeah, what kind of what kind of differences though? Say say I'm out doing grouse and woodcock, you know, the Michigan hunting. What kind yeah. of difference really is there between say a six, a seven and a half, and a number eight. Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the number eight myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would just go right to number six. Uh, it's going to have a lot more impact on the game and put it down. You know, you're not, you're not going to have wounded birds with the uh, uh, number sixes or, or less, even fives. Um, so my, my big concern with using number eights would be wounding the bird. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't want to do that. You want a nice clean kill. Yep. Um, so people, when it comes to ammo, oftentimes, you know, like, like you were talking about, you know, we've got this shell and this barely, they're, they're second guessing themselves and they're, they're, they're kind of doubting their abilities. You know, I would just put in the, the stiff shell and, uh, you know, go for it out in the field. <laughs> um, where stiff shells in the sporting games are really your kind of worst enemy in a way because of recoil. But out in the field, you're not pounding away typically, you know, unless you go down to Argentina, one of those guys. I think yeah. you know, standard issue is a 20-gauge with, you know, six-shot. Um, but it, it, something that's going to put the game down humanely and quickly, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, and I've, really I've noticed, too, a difference, right? A majority of my hunting is over pointing dogs. And I, right. and I sometimes target woodcock sometimes like, like if I can, I do, um, right. mainly and I like them that way. And, you know, those eights and nines, especially when the flights are in, I haven't noticed, you know, beyond 25 yards, I don't normally see a woodcock too often. You know, I, right. I do get that, that oddball yeah. chance, but for the most part, right. Yeah. I've noticed that oh, there's, yeah. there's no difference between say me grabbing a, a blue box federal number nines for woodcock hunting yeah woodcock um, I mean, that's that's you know that's a small bird yeah and those are close shots so and your your number eights or nines are just fine and and even yeah. even if i did have a number six in my vest and it went into one of those two barrels right i'm not seeing a difference in the damage on the bird only right. be, only because you know the nines are big are smaller the six is bigger but there's a lot fewer of the sixes and i'm not noticed i never really noticed where i had a an issue um, right. Either I damaged it beyond repair anyway, and it wouldn't have mattered what I was shooting. Yeah. Do Do you actually eat woodcock? <laughs> I, I I actually do. I. Uh, oh man. I I I've now been duck hunting for a year longer than I've been married here. So 
I think I'm at 18 years duck hunting, and I enjoy duck. I like the flavor of it. Um, and Woodcock is right there in that, that closely related flavor group. Um, and we, we cuisine them up. They, they've been, uh, they're a good full flavored meat. There's a lot of things I can do in the kitchen with them that I can't do with a, a white meat bird. There's just, yeah, you, I you overpower. You must be a hell of a cook <laughs> to make those taste good. <laughs> you have oh, to have the I, taste I, for it. It's really oh. in your palate. Yeah, yep. I guess so. Yeah. But, uh. Every woodcock I've shot, I've just blown to pieces. Uh, you know, I don't mean to, but yeah. It's I've I've had some that that I've shot at super close range, and they were in great shape. And then the next one is ten yards further. It seems like, and I can shear it in half on accident. And right, well, yeah. it, it does happen. Okay, I you know learn from learn from your mistakes. Right, one you always count that bird in your bag, whether it's pieces or not. And then, right. you know, the the next thing is okay. Well. Let them get out a little further. Let's let's try not to do this again, um, you know, yeah. and and be sporting. But that's that's part of that being a gentleman that our our group is is known for right. as well. Yeah. But you know, you you mentioned duck hunting. You know, now you're talking about a totally different kind of shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're talking people. You, you can't use lead, so um, you using that. Uh, you know bismuth and the heavy shot have you ever taken a look at that heavy shot i've out of a shell i have uh i've cut open all kinds of different ones the old there's an original bismuth shot shell company i had some of those i've cut some of those open um oh there's... i've seen them where they look very edgy and and uh None you of know, them, some of them aren't round it. like like no. most of them weren't round before i've seen that um, I've shot some nice tungsten loads that are no longer in production that I right. believe. Um, in fact, I still have one of the nicest heavy, heavy loads was a Wingmaster HD from Remington. Yeah. And it was obscenely expen- expensive, but my goodness, yeah, it hit hard. <laughs> yeah, and, it hit hard, but, um, but I, the, we were look, checking out at the gun club, this, this heavy shot stuff. Mm-hmm. And back then, this is probably 10, 15 years ago. And uh, if you split one open, this stuff looked awful. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, deformed. It just looked terrible. But it's patterned surprisingly well. And it's very deadly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yep. I thought it was going to be a terrible pattern, but no, no, it, it patterned great. Yep. Um, and it is deadly, yeah. I, uh, anecdotally, my hand load that I use, and I use this even earlier in the season on birds or preserved birds, I shoot a three-quarter ounce 20 load. Mm-hmm. I shoot reclaimed, straight off the skeet and trap field reclaimed shot. I mix yeah. it I mix it with a little bit of number nine new yeah. so that it flows better through my loader. And it's and it's been washed. And if I really feel the need, I have some John Deere brand graphite here from a corn planter to add right. to the hull. Yeah. None of the shots round, but it breaks targets. And uh, Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it patterns, it, I guess it patterns good enough, right? It, it, it patterns good enough. But the thing that's on the parroting board, um, you're seeing something in 2D that's happening in 3D, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, generally with the reclaimed shot, you're going to have a much, much longer shot string hmm. um, because it's a little more deformed and it's a little bit different sizes too, okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. I know people try to screen it out so it's all the same. 
but uh, there was this guy selling some at Mason. He was selling it in gallon jugs, like milk jugs, you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he dumped some in my hand, and I, I saw sixes in there. I saw nines. <laughs> I saw eights. <laughs> you know, it depends on the guy you're buying it from, I guess, but this stuff was just awful. Um, but I've had other people say, yeah, this stuff is generally pretty good, mm-hmm. but I compete with it uh, on sporting clays? No. I, on ski field, you know, why not? The shots are so yeah. close. I wouldn't trust a career to it. No. But at the same... And it depends on your level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll probably be shooting it this spring again at the SAS thing. Um, I've I found it, it... On skeet targets, I don't notice a difference besides those no. less recoil. Um, yeah. And then even shooting out to 35, 40 yards on some of the, the clays courses... It's it's outside of my skill level to determine whether or not that's an ineffective shot shell. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, I'm I'm sure Kim Rhodes could pull up, shoot two or three boxes, and say, "Here's what this shell's doing wrong," but I'm not her. I never will be. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's that's the difference. And like top shooters are are shooting at high levels. Mm-hmm. Is um, it's you you can win or lose that game. I have many times lost by one target, you know? So how can you get rid of that? Yep. How can you make, make it, make it so it's less chance that you're going to lose by one target. And that's where the expensive guns come in and the better ammo. Um, mm-hmm. Like we were talking about like skeet, it doesn't matter. Those shots, your average skeet shot is within 15 yards. People will argue all day long about that, but when you average it all out, Average key shots within 15 yards. Yeah. And that's a full shot. Yeah, because you shoot Kurt, all the Kurt incoming. Grace, yeah, Kurt Grace, he was world champion ski shooter, and he told me that he believes it's less than that, more like 10 yards. I found that hard to accept, but um, he's not one to argue with. He was actually a very, very good source of information. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so what I trust at high levels now but if you're out there you know at a fun shooter whatever yeah why not yep yep now a little bit with with the shot string maybe and some of this goes along with it but the velocity as well right right at the distances that we shoot any of the any of the game birds even really right say within 30 yards i i hunt majority with my pointing dogs um, mm-hmm. getting a little more into the flushing stuff because we have a few now, but what's the real, and, and is this one of those things that's also just kind of in your head, right? What's the difference really between, say, a, a 1250 and an 1150 velocity shell? They're really, they're really it, mathematically it, it, shouldn't be anything, is there? No, it's, it's when you, they, they've proven it's like a split second difference at, at that range. It's, it's really nothing to, uh, to be too concerned about there are mm-hmm. times when you're going to want a heavier you know in the in the clay games the heavy, biggest thing you're allowed is seven and a half shot yeah um and so you, you on some of these shots you are going to want seven and a half that are going to reach out there and touch something i mean mm-hmm. i've been to shoots where there's 80 yard shots Ooh. or or more i mean that's really pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. um so, you know, yeah, you also want to cons- consider the big difference between game shooting and 
and and clay shooting is um, the targets are behaving exactly opposite. Okay, mm-hmm. and when you're bird hunting, the bird's accelerating. Now, clay targets, they're not. They're they're always decelerating. Now, unless you know, sometimes you get a dropper that's like a you know a chandelle or yep. rabu, and they pick up speed when they're dropping. But game birds never do that. Okay. Yeah, they parach- they do parachute that. down. Yeah, hawk will do that, but you know we're not bad guys here, are we? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the big difference between you know practicing for you know bird hunting versus clay. Is, right. You know, clay's decelerating right off the arm. And it and it depends too on the clays and on the bird. But in a lot of cases, I've always thought that some of those skeet targets seem faster than the birds I'm hunting. And I don't, I don't know, yeah. especially if it's, if it's maybe just the birds and the habitat I happen to be in. Um, and I find pheasants are even slower than the grouse, uh, to me within gun range, unless I have one that has a huge head start coming at me or running down a line, you know, flying across a, a line of guys that's, that's kind of walking a field together. I'm not really going to see, I thought, in my opinion, a wild bird that's going as fast as some of the clays I've been presented. And then... Doing oh, okay. the doing the math on the shot shell, that fifty to hundred foot per second velocity difference on my shot shell is only the bird or the clay flying six inches further than it was right. previously. Well, I've got a twenty some odd inch pattern if I'm shooting my tighter barrel. Yeah. That six inches is it, it's it, it's, it's, it's nothing. people Yeah. Yeah. Um and you know so we we were talking about farm birds yeah okay uh yeah there's just a huge huge difference between you know the farm raised birds that you go on those put and takes and stuff versus um wild you know that um, yep. wild pheasants are fast you know i've seen them very fast before um Goodness. they're they're just trimmer they're you know they, these game birds that they, these farm birds are fat and yep. slow <laughs> and i've and being a snap shooting grouse hunter and woodcock hunter yeah. more, um, yeah. I I was out with a buddy Kaz a couple of years now, four years ago, down to Iowa, and yeah. I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to really ammo up more. I I went out, I had some golden pheasant three inch, and I had this other stuff, and it was a nasty, horrible day. So I'm out there with the Benelli, and that first rooster gets up. And I realized that I have significantly more time and distance than I ever thought I was going to have. Mm-hmm. And by the second and third, the second day, I'm like, you know, I don't need mm-hmm. magnums for this anymore. I can go back to a good yeah. solid number sixes. Yeah. And and not feel like these birds are beyond my skill level. Now, I I guess shooting enough targets and having a proper gun mount and, and a little practice under my belt. I don't have the nervousness of oh my god it's getting away, right? You know some yeah. other some other hunters are definitely going to have that, and I know I experienced it. You know further further back, um, it, we're closer to my beginning, but uh, again, there's a lot there's a lot there that says that practice is good, but at the same time, okay, take your time and just get in front, right? And also, you know. A lot of people don't take time to practice, mm-hmm. you know, 
and and I know you do, you know, you go out to the skeet field or go out to the trap field. Um, I, I personally, I think skeet and traps are probably going to be your best practice. Um, sporting clays, a lot of it, it's gotten kind of away from what, you know, it went in as it, this is going to be like a simulation of, of actual hunting. Originally, you had to have low gun. You couldn't pre-mount the gun. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the targets were usually going away from you and everything. Now, you have presentations that, you know, wild birds don't do. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a wild pheasant come at you? Or, you know, um, directly nah, at you. Running a flusher sometimes. Um, yeah. But but then again, too, the, the hunter's clays variety. Right. And and too, I'm a I've always been a versatile shooter. I may right. I may not see a pheasant coming at me, but every September is teal season and then there's there's the wood duck time and then there's the goose fields, there's you know, the the rough grouse, the woodcock. Um mm-hmm. you know, you start to add all those things together and I, I do think that sporting clays does especially in the hunter's clay style courses that are you know, not really able to separate master class shooters that well. Um, but they certainly do well for, for the hunting class shooter like me. Um, give you a good variety, every angle. Yeah. But mm-hmm. some of those technical courses, I sit there and I scratch my head and eventually the the guy from the club will come around and he's like, so, uh, got any questions? Yes, yes, I do. And <laughs> what's that target doing? And he says, it's just floating out there. I'm like, no, it, it's got to be moving. He goes, no, no, it's not. Let, let's go shoot that again. Give it a foot of lead. I'm like a foot. Right. Like, that's within my pattern. It's 40, yeah. it's 40 yards. Shoot right. a foot in front. Boom. Crush it. You're like, oh, man, I was off by eight feet. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah we, we tried to get you off by eight feet. We knew that. Oh. Yeah, see, <laughs> that thing, nowadays, there are some really, really good target setters, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, let's just use, like, Detroit Gun Club. Scott, Scott Banky, you're not going to find much better than a target setter than that guy. Um, so what a good target setter, in my opinion, does. Okay, a, a bad target setter just makes targets farther and faster. Okay, anybody can do that. Yep. Um a good target setter is the kind of target like you just mentioned um, that th- is it's technical. It's not necessarily super far away, but it's doing something you're not used to. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a difference between the clay games and, <laughs> and another difference is, you know, th- uh, to bird hunting is you have a guy that's trying to throw you off mm-hmm. and show you uh presentations that you're not going to see out in the field ever not not very often not very often i should say yep um those are the head scratchers though those are the ones at the end of the hunt you're like i don't know what it did but right that move is better than me right yeah yeah and like i mentioned earlier you know birds are picking up speed Mm -hmm. um usually and uh, clays aren't um so that's one of the main main differences there yeah Yep, yeah. there's there is some of those the I you normally don't see it, right? Out of, nine out of ten birds that you flush are never gonna give you a fade and a slowdown. Right. Until all of a sudden you get one of those that's approaching a, a pine row and it's trying to get down to ground. So all of a sudden, about the time you're swinging through hard because it's been accelerating, 
it puts out those wings like a parachute, drops three yep, feet, yep. and you're like, well, mm-hmm. that was the target setter bird that I'm not getting. Right. They, they, yep. Or the, the woodcock that stalls and just decides to drop straight down again. You're like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. you got me again. Yeah. But uh, they... So in that aspect, yeah, the clays uh, are behaving uh, similar. Mm-hmm. Unless you have, you know, like I said, the, the chandelle and the uh, rabu kind of birds that are real thin. And when they turn, they, they just drop like a rock yep. and they accelerate. Oh, okay? yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, usually you... don't see game birds accelerating as they're dropping. No, not like so, that. No, no. No. So, um, the, the, the target setter's his job is to try to throw you off. Mm-hmm. You know, trick you, fool you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only time anything accelerates going to the ground is when that mallard sees that red tail about 10 yards off his tail feathers, and he just yeah. goes... Fr- <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you're you're not going to hit that bird. <laughs> no, no. no. Nope. Damn red tails. <laughs> right, red tails are the... If you're ever in Shiawassee over there at the, the big flooded corn sections there, the eagles yeah. get in there. And uh, you want to stir up some ducks, put a big bald eagle over one of them one day, and uh, yeah. they they definitely don't want to get eaten any more than I do. No. But uh, how much, part, part of our, our notes here, and this question kind of comes under the, the ammo and the choke size and all that other stuff, and that is how much of our shooting is all between our ears? I'd say a lot of it. Um an awful lot of it, like we talked about the parroting board, people chasing their tails with the parroting board. It goes all the way through every facet of shooting, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, people over, a lot of people tend to overthink and overanalyze things. And it depends on their their nature. For example, um, if you have somebody that's an engineer, they just naturally want to overanalyze everything. Um, you know, it, it, like you can make it as simple or as complicated as you like. And from my experiences, the people that keep it simple are more successful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anytime you see guys walking around with those, uh, shot cams attached to their barrels, I've never seen one of those guys that can shoot, you know, they're just overanalyzing everything. Um, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. Just don't overanalyze. Don't overthink it. Um, make sure your gun's fitting you and the point of impact's correct. Um, and then, you know, the sky's the limit from there. And how serious do you want to be? You know, everybody has different aspirations. Yep. Um, like, that's first thing. I, I'm also an instructor, too. Um, I'm a level two uh, NSCA instructor. And when I get somebody new, I ask them, what are your aspirations? If you want to be an all-American, you just want to have fun with your buddies and, and beat them. You know, it's important to, to, to understand that mm-hmm. um, and be real about it, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, everyone wants to beat their buddies. That's... Yeah. Who likes losing? <laughs> right. No, right. No and, and, and two, um, I know we, we talked about this before in our pre-talk a while ago. Uh, the importance of keeping score just just for the purpose of if you're trying to improve yourself uh, this comes up a lot of, I know on the skeet field because of how how 
diverse all the angles are, the incoming, outgoing, left to right, right to left, all the things that go into the skeet field, it'll show you faults in your style as, as well oh, as yeah. a lot of other things. But if you don't keep that scorecard at least through the round so that you can look down and see where the X's and O's are, then all that practice didn't help you. You're you're 100% correct. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a big advocate of keeping score um, because, for example, with skeet, wow, look at this. I'm not hitting three house high hardly ever. Well, it's written there on paper. I mean, this is this is a log of what you how you performed. Mm-hmm. You know, um. So in sporting clay, same way. I'll I'll go to a course that was like a tournament course that, uh, and I'll try to. You know, I'll shoot it again and try to work on the targets I had a hard time within the tournament, you know, and uh, and also keep score. Was my score improved? It's the only way you can, you got to gauge it to something. Yep. You know, you can't just go out there without keeping any kind of score and, you know, and, you know, pay attention to what kind of targets are you missing? Mm-hmm. Is it left to right? So there's it droppers. I mean, there, there's something there's a reason why you're missing it. Yep. You know? And and if you have a little bit of a competitive streak, um, a friendly wager almost oh, yeah. always oh. helps you a little bit, whether it's just simply maintain focus or, uh, in my case, I got to remember that on a hundred round course, I have to have a bottle, a bottle of water somewhere. And right. somewhere along the way, I got to have a snack. Um, right. And, and if I get those two things in me, at the proper time, you know, station six or seven, have that, um, I finish out pretty strong. Now, the only way to really remember that sometimes, however, is to go, okay, we're, we're going to be serious today. Well, why? Because I've got a $6 pint of of Miller High Life, you know, riding on the line <laughs> with Kaz or something like that, right? Okay, or, or it's a burger or whatever it is, you know, if there isn't, right, a, yeah. if there isn't a bet on there, maybe you're going to kind of slough off halfway through and decide that practice isn't worth it or... You know, it should keep you out of your toes. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, I think, keep you a little sharp, too, as well as that I think it heightens the experience of just going out shooting with your friends. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. I totally agree. Yeah. It, it makes it fun. <laughs> um, I just, It'll but, make it expensive if you're the worst guy on the squad. <laughs> it, 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 it is, but, like, um, now that you mentioned that, it, 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 and that's great to do with your buddies to have something to, to gain by it, some kind of prize or whatever. But mm-hmm. when, when I was doing a lot of registered trap shooting, I never did the Lewis class stuff or anything else like that because mm-hmm. I, it was something more for me to think about. My, my concentration was already, I, I didn't need to be distracted by anything else. And I did better that way. Uh, people would always say well, he does not play Lewis. I know I, I don't. I just, I, I don't care. There's not that much money to win anyway. All I'm trying to do is win, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm concentrating on. I, I don't care about that money, you know? Yep, and, and two, you know, say, and, and if you're really, really competitive, what does Lewis B-class mean to you? Well, it means there's 25 shooters ahead of me yet. Right. Or or more, sometimes a lot more, you know. Right. Okay, well, that means I'm not doing quite well enough yet per round uh, to be in the A class. Right, yeah. And 
what, yep. what kind of money are we talking here these days there's there's no money really no um, no it's all pride it's a lot yeah, of it is. that yep it is. in the old days though i mean you go to an ata shoot there was a lot of money to be had mm-hmm. um it could be thousands you know it's a big shoot thousands still is you know thousands of dollars to win yep i just i, I get that in my mind and it just it doesn't you know, it just messes with me i don't i don't like it well, we'll do our we'll do our final two sponsors and two more questions. This one's Field Armor, the toughest dog vest on the market. Help protect your dog from cuts, scrapes, and impalement in the field. A dog vest is much less expensive than an emergency vet. Use the promo code BIRDCAMP, B-I-R-D-C-A-M-P, no spacing, for free shipping. Don't miss out on some of their other rugged Upland products. Visit FieldArmorUSA.com today. And, of course, Pine Hill Gun Dogs, located in Rockford, Michigan. Pine Hill offers boarding and training for your gun dog, whether it's the uplands or wetlands you enjoy with your dog. Pine Hill Gun Dogs wants to, to be a part of your success this season and wishes to remind you that the greatest conservation tool is a well-trained dog. On a quick little field note from Field Armor, if you've been watching their social media, they showed an x-ray of a dog who, uh, who his owner has one less friend. That friend, of course, shot a low flushing bird, um, caught the dog in the pattern as well. And if you look at the x-ray, you'll notice that there's pellets in the dog's legs, a few outside of the vitals, you know, not in that chest area. And, uh, the field armor vest, while not labeled bulletproof or shot proof, Uh, The dog was at a distance where it did stop the pellets from hitting the dog in that chest cavity area, and the owner still has his dog. Um, Still a horrible thing, so again, be very mindful. Low-flying birds are just not really wise to shoot at. Um, Your handler friend is not going to appreciate you. Um, Depending on how violent they get, you may not get to leave the field either. And, uh, well, quite honestly, that's... That was an impressive x-ray, um, but something to think about, too, if you're one of the guys running a vest. Uh, that field armor is a pretty beefy vest, um, and in this case, it saved that dog. But uh, on to that, we had two questions left, one of which was, what's a good kind of practice for game shooting uh, when I go to the clay field? Well, um, personally, I think your skeet and trap is... is um, your your best bet because I think it performs more closely to how game um, how game performs how how game reacts game is mm-hmm. trying to get away from you um, the skeet and trap um, skeet and trap you're shooting the game properly the targets are always rising okay and um, usually usually the game birds are always rising too mm-hmm. um, we we're talking about sporting clays uh, there's a lot of uh, sporting clays targets these days that I have never seen a bird behave like that. Not even mm-hmm. nowhere close. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it, the, the the clay games they're trying to make you miss. They're trying to do things. They they've gotten away from what um, you know game targets actually do. With the you now trap was a game that was pretty much designed for for hunters in the old days uh, to simulate. Um, hunting conditions what they would do in the old days um they would have a pigeon in a bowl and there's a rope attached to it 
and you're ready. And you pull that, uh, the bull tips over and the bird goes out. And that was how trap, you know, that was the first games of trap were like that. Hmm. And, um, the, and then they went to artificial game. It was glass balls. These were the glass balls that were thrown on the thrower. Um, but they're, you know, thrown away from you. Um, and then the clay, the clay started, I think, what, early 1900s. Um, mm-hmm. the, the pitch uh, targets were uh, introduced. They're a lot cheaper. And um, But uh, so I personally, I think skeet and trap is, your, uh, yeah, skeet and trap is your, your best practice for, um, for game yeah. targets. Yep, and yeah. especially if you duck hunt as well, the incomers, right. the incomers in skeet are one of the few times that you're going to get a repetitive incomer. Right. Um, it makes a makes a huge difference on on a bird that especially not all of them decoy, right? So you may get right. that crosser, that incomer, that angled bird. Um mm-hmm. and as well too, grouse grouse fly in fact that was you know the invention of skeet was for grouse shooting in New England. Um, mm-hmm. you're getting that great variety that builds kind of your form. It makes you very versatile too, right? Left to right, above mm-hmm. you, any of those other angles involved there. Um, you're going to have to learn to hit them all. Yeah. And skeet is, it's a very, um, you feel the skeet field everywhere you go, theoretically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you got a high house and a low house. The target should be flying at 42, 43 miles an hour. The target, the field should be facing north. That's a very controlled environment. And um, um, trap is too, really. The only difference is, of course, that with trap, the machine is, is oscillating. Yep. So you're not sure what, what direction the target's going to go. And I think that's more closely, to me, it's like pheasant hunting. Wild, you know. Definitely. Um, yeah. So it's more like that. Yep. Um, and it mimics but, it mimics a flushing dog pheasant hunting as well, right? Anywhere yeah, from exactly. sixteen to twenty-seven yards. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much. It's, actually, a... it's very similar, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I'm not saying sporting clays isn't good for for uh, practice. I think it's great, but uh, I think that skeet and trap are the most important. Um, with you know, if you want to simulate something, mm-hmm. uh, actual conditions. I mean, those games have been around forever. And they, I think they build a requisite skill set before you set yeah. foot on a, on a clays course, three or four rounds of skeet are going to show you all the possible angles mm-hmm. at a reasonable distance, right? So you're going to get some right. closer, some further, some averaging a little different. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time you've shot a few lines of skeet, you've seen all that already. Now you go to the clays course and then they start throwing the the curling and other things in there, at least you have yeah. some point of reference to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I like for um, new shooters that I take on to, I, I have them shoot skeet and trap. Uh, yeah. Skeet helps them learn how to lead a target. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you get a lot of people that they're, they're not used to leading a target. A lot of them come right from the, the realm of pistol shooting or rifle shooting or archery where they're shooting right mm-hmm. at a target. Oh with yeah, the, yeah. With the shotgun, you're shooting where the target's going to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I I always have a hard time with the rifle and pistol shooters. A lot of times, trying to understand how to lead a target, mm-hmm. and um, that's why I, I really insist on them shooting skeet. Um, 
you know, you got to have some kind of visual on, on how to you know, lead a target. And I never liked saying, okay, you need to be four feet in front of it. It's not a good thing to meter a target, you know, and measure it. Yeah. But for a brand new shooter, you have to have some kind of reference point. So that's the only time I'll do that. So you, you, you got to have, you know, station three, you got to be about two and a half feet in front of it. Try to imagine two and a half feet. After they start hitting targets, I don't talk like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just say double your lead or, you know. Yeah. Newer, newer shooters tend to be behind targets and seasoned shooters, uh, really seasoned shooters, and they're missing. They're, a lot of times they're in front of it. Um, so. Yeah, there's – and whether it's feet, right, the other thing too is if you're a newer shooter and you're not sure about a foot, think of a college mm-hmm. – if you're, if you're a guy, think of a length of a college football. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. You need to be three footballs in front of this, and sometimes that right. that little bit might be what it takes to click it. But I yeah. I know learning learning the games with, and I did this too. Right. You start on the on the on the station there. Mm-hmm. You're you're get your feet right. You're listening to somebody. Hopefully, you're listening to somebody who knows how to explain what to do. You know, get the gun to your shoulder, and in a way, I guess, take away the gun mount and learn some of the mechanics before you start adding the gun mount back in. Um, right. That's and, a yeah. huge thing in practice that people maybe want to just jump over being a hunter. Right. And, you know, I, I take on people who they just want to, they want to hunt, they want to shoot, um, you know, uh, game birds. And that's, that's great. When I just, on the ski field, I just, I have them, I don't allow them pre-mount the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I have them shoot a method of swing through. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, you're actually starting behind the bird and swinging through. Yeah. Um, your your skeet shooters, they are almost strictly what's called sustained lead, where when they call pull, their barrel stays in front of that target, you know, a given distance. Yeah. So. Um, in the see, old days, they didn't do that, did they? What? The, no, the, the game of skeet has really kind of changed a bit. Uh, you know, it's, uh, the dynamics, you know, it's, it's changed. Um, the guns have changed. Your your methods of shooting have, ch- have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those guys in the, the old days were um, swing through people. And mm-hmm. now your top skeet shooters, they're all sustainedly just about. I can't think of anybody who isn't. Right. Um, to, to get to their level of consistency. Right. It, it's, and, the, it's the technique you have to shoot. Yes, it's the technique you have to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, your, 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 your footing and everything is different on skeet versus trap and, mm-hmm. and sporting clays, okay? So the, the, the three games have their um, methodologies to them. Um, but field gun, you, you can't go out in the field and, and have your footing a certain way. I mean, the bird's not going to wait for you, you right. know? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much all swing through. <laughs> yeah. It, it, unless you get a long crosser. Okay. Well, if you feel more comfortable with sustained lead or whatever. Um, do you, <laughs> do you know of a good resource for the guy who wants to be the better game shot? Um, as far as how to learn stance and how to learn gun mount. So I, have, I know a good resource for that. I, I have um, a I have a book I recommend, but I I would like to see, you know, if if other people have another resource I can recommend because I loaned out the, actually the book I I gave it to a guy who was learning, but uh, 
how to, you know, and it starts out with the feet and it goes into, you know, you know your stance and, and where your range of movement goes and into the gun mm-hmm. mount and how right. to address targets and things like that. But I wondered if you had another source besides mine that, that would be out there and available to somebody because I think what makes what makes and, and this might be a point of pride for some people and it may just be mm-hmm. that they want to be successful because they want to try a new recipe, but consistently knocking down game birds is never an accident. Um, no, and I've I've poured thousands of rounds through through one particular gun. You know, in the old days, I had two or three, and I poured thousands of rounds through each of those. But to be a consistently good, and that doesn't mean I, I know Dennis will be laughing already. Yes, he's he's seen me epically collapse for an entire box of shells. But for the most part, generally, I'm I'm a fairly reliable game shot. Um, mm-hmm. None of that's on accident, but. What resource maybe do you know of, if you can have one, or maybe even describe a little bit of it, uh, how to learn well, that, right? Because it's, it's not an easy learn. No, it isn't. Um, I feel the, the best resource for, for, for what you're talking about would be to go to some of these clubs that, are, that, that put birds out, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, what you got the huntsmen there, and they, they do these, you know, those kind of bird hunts and everything. You got people there, they're, they have very keen knowledge of, you know, what you need to do in the field mm-hmm. and um, how you're, how you should approach the target. Because, you know, any kind of shot, your footing is extremely important. Um, if it's wrong, your, your, your body can work against you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If your footing's wrong and the bird's going in the wrong direction, you, you can't get it. Your, your body's fighting you, you know? Yep. So you always want to make it so your your footing allows you to get the target. But sometimes you just don't know with the wild yeah. where, where it's going to be, you know? You, if you've got a good dog, they'll help you. Yep. You know, that's always been my issue with hunting. I've, 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 I just don't have the patience to train a dog and everything so all my fr- i used to hunt with friends that had really good dogs and um so i just like i said i just don't have the patience to train a dog and it's you know, <laughs> a from, lot of work <laughs> from my perspective if you're one of those people who i have a buddy with a dog thank your lucky stars offer to buy him a, a, a bottle of their favorite whiskey or a tank of gas because you know my buddy's dog is the only cheap dog you'll ever have. There's, whether it's time and money, uh, dogs soak that stuff up. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and as much as I, I do love my dogs, I, I'm going to admit that they cost a fortune. Um, they cost a fortune and it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, I just assume just use somebody else's dog. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what yeah. I have into these, you could you could buy birds, gas, you know, dog yeah. food for a guy and still come out of it cheap. Right. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's nothing like watching a good dog work. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's uh it I, I feel bad for people who have never had that experience. Yeah. Um uh, there's nothing like watching a good dog. And you know, that said, you know, I have hunted with people <laughs> who oh my dog is so great, it's so great and that dog runs out 50 yards in front of you, spooking up game. And, oh, come on, man. <laughs> well, a lot of people think their dog is great. It's not, but mm-hmm. um, 
I've, I've seen a lot of just most of the dogs, people I, uh, I know, they say their dog is good. It, it is. Yep. But uh, there are a couple of bozos out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a, a quick judge of that is you ask them, okay, hey, how'd you do this season? And if they start telling you story after story of how, how of getting into birds and seeing these amazing flushes and being in these amazing places, okay, yeah, I, I don't even have to ask about their dog at that point because pretty much right. I know you've you've spent the time, right? You know, yeah. And uh, that's a quick little litmus test if you think your friend might be kind of overselling the dog's capability, but yeah. uh, or but he, I've, I've never seen anybody say. Yeah, my dog's terrible. It's just terrible. Let's go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. It, the greatest dog in the world. It's a very rare person who says, well, he ain't worth much, but uh, he smells him better than I do. And, <laughs> yeah. yep. Now, last season I had a famous last question, and I haven't thought of a new one for this season, so I'm going to give this one to you, too, as well. It's not in the notes, but uh, if for one day you could take out any gun from history and use it however right one one particular gun what would it be and what would you do with it well for, for me I, I would i would say i would go back to the 1930s and get a remington model 32 hmm. you know because that that's the gun that the craig off is based on you know okay um so it's essentially the same gun as the craig off uh, you know they Changed it in 1980, called it the K80, changed the trigger around. But DuPont took that Model 32 to Germany, and Kragoff made it. So the original Remington 32, I just thought, wow, that is a hell of a gun. And uh, they're beautiful guns. They're beautifully made, but they came out the wrong time. You know, they came out during the Depression, and nobody could afford a $500 gun back then. That's Yeah. Yeah, And they went up from there. (laughs) Right, and then not after not long after that, you're into war bonds, and no one's buying anything. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was it was a it was a tough time, and um, you know there were the haves and have-nots, and that mm-hmm. that gun just couldn't sell. Um, yep. And there was so a lot. If of, I had to go back, I'd get that. Yeah. Yeah. There had to have been a lot of stiff competition around that time in the gun market too, right? We still had. Oh God! Uh, yeah. Really strong brands, you know, in in Parker and and the other American makers. Oh yeah, there, uh, there were a lot of high end guns. Uh, like you said, Parker was a fantastic. That'd be another gun I would like to go back for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so many that you know, went belly up. Yeah. Um, for you know a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, cost of labor, competition overseas. Competition yep. probably the biggest factor. Yep, and it seemed like everyone wanted those newfangled repeaters, too, after the war. Right, yeah. Like, a, a good example would be, like, the, the Model 12, Winchester. Mm-hmm. Okay, Winchester, they made some wonderful, beautifully crafted guns. And Remington was always about mass production and making guns for the blue-collar man that were reliable guns. And... You take the Model 12 in 1950, the Model 870 come out. Well, Model 870 is about half the price, and it's more accessorized, and it's actually just as good. And I think the more reliable. Really? And, oh, God, yeah. Oh. They're, they're, the 870 is a hell of a gun. It's best-selling shotgun of all time. Um, 
thing about Model 12s I've noticed, when you have a problem with one, you've got a problem with one. They've <laughs> got some, it's a real head scratcher. Mm-hmm. And you can't just take another barrel off one and put it on. Okay, the, yeah. the barrels are fitted for that gun, you know. Um, so that kind of production um, that Remington did just totally killed uh, Winchester. And we had a lot of manufacturers like Winchester. Well, you know, mm-hmm. they, these guns were very well machined. and um, But it got to be about the greenback dollar saving money and yeah. uh, high production and cut costs. I was, and that's where Remington was the master of. I always thought the Model 12 handled a lot like a Ferrari. Yeah, I like and, how they handle. And I the, like 870, the 870 handled a lot like a VW van full of hippies. Well, it depends on the 870 you got. <laughs> now, remind me, I'll bring you out my customized 870. And I think you'll change your mind. I It would have to be because the ones I picked up, I was just like, oh, good Lord. This is this is clearly the gun for the masses. Um, oh, it's for the masses already. And, but, and yeah. yeah, the I I have a Model 12 here, and if it ever fit me better, my goodness, does it it points in the wrong spot, but it points there quick. And uh, it's quick, yeah. They uh, I love the sight plane on the on the uh, Model 12. You know, the top mm-hmm. the receiver, and um, you know how it, it just merges right with the rib like that. And, um, the uh, the Model 12 is actually a very complicated gun. It is. It is. It's a very complicated gun, mm-hmm. and the 870 is so simple. Yeah. Um, so you're going to present Mr. Assembly Line Worker with two guns. Okay, you can have this, you know, Winchester for three hundred dollars, or you can have this Remington for one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, especially oh, yeah. that generation. You know, they were they they were tight with the buck. Yeah, and that that's a no brainer for them. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Remington is very reputable, <laughs> but look where they are now. Well, yeah, I uh, sad. I trashed I I trash talk them. I'll admit it. I uh, not their old stuff. Grandpa had an old 870 Wingmaster with multiple barrels because, of course, nothing came with choke tubes when he bought them. Um, mm-hmm. And those guns, if someone shows up to the club with a fixed choke Wingmaster, one they've owned it long enough probably to be absolutely good with it. Um, and and the gun is is going to definitely perform. Um, mm-hmm. The rest of the Remingtons that show up to the club, I look at and I'm like, okay, are they going to need to trade me their bargain tin base hauled shells for one of my boxes? Am I going to have to help him figure out how to unjam one when one of those cheap shells sticks in the <laughs> chamber? You know, pick a number yeah. of problems and then go, hey, you might want yeah. a recoil pad on that because. That gun looks like it hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, uh, well, you, yeah, the, the, uh, well, you get the 1100s, they're very soft shooters. But, oh, yeah. You know, they, okay, the, the 1100s are a very dated gun. It's, it's, it's obsolete in every way, I believe. You, you know, you get these autoloaders that are made by Beretta, you know, and uh, a few others in Europe. They're, they're very reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I just don't understand Remington's. Uh, they they just kind of, kind of keep pushing the cash cows, you know. You got to move forward, and they haven't moved forward at all. Yep. And that's what's happened with the American gun industry, you know. They they just kind of died on the vine like that. Yeah, yeah. they uh, and eleven hundreds have killed a lot of game, broke a lot of targets, and you know any no young gunner. any yep. young person wanting to learn to shoot, there is zero fear of recoil after the second trigger pull. 
Um, mm-hmm. yeah. They're going to definitely get stronger by the time their round's over. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, it's, it's a heavy gun. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they, it's definitely, though, mechanically, you know, you got to sell with, you, you got to sell the things that are economically good. Um, yeah, and looking at the, the Benelli's in my cabinet, when it gets rainy or I need a reliable auto, I, it was worth the money the first time. Right. Yep. You know, buy once, cry once. Mm-hmm. What I would say, you know, I'm poor, so I have to have the best. <laughs> <laughs> the first time, the best, the yeah, first exactly. time, and then, and then when you look at the one in the cabinet that that was the one you spent on, you say, that is the one. Okay, nope, yeah. I'm not getting an alternate. I, yep. Yeah, but it, it's so funny. I get customers all the time. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm keeping this gun forever. Yeah. Yeah, six months sure. later, you see it on the board, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I'm the laughing stock of my friends. Every time they see me, I'm with a different gun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of my problems. Uh, I always, I do laugh, but I, you know, I can, I can kind of laugh about it and call people hypocrite a little. Oh, this is this is the gun. It's, this is the gun for me. And then my phone will ring. Well, what do you yeah. think about this one? Well, gee, that doesn't sound like the one that's in your safe right now. Right, not at all. No, no, but this one will be for <laughs> for what? Like, are you going to put the? I'm. You're going to put the one with all the stock work done and all the other stuff away, and you're going to get this other gun out. Well, no, yeah. but okay, then then you're going to spend. But, listen, but you got to listen to the logic and the rationale. You know how they rationalize it. I, it's very funny I, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, and then in the end, I say, you know what? You do what you want to do because when you buy that gun, I want to see it. I probably right. want to shoot it. I'm going right. to tell you that I like it, you know, and and I'll still shake my head because what I I'll I'll shoot your favorite gun and you shoot your new one, and uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, there's also always the new gun syndrome. Oh yes. Somebody somebody picks up a gun, uh, especially if they're go to places like Jake was used to, you'd be able to go there and you could shoot these guns because they had a field right there. You could shoot them. Ooh. Oh, and they shoot great with it. They bring that damn thing home and, oh, they can't hit nothing with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> new gun syndrome. Oh. But, uh, uh, yep. Well, I think we're winding down. We're at a, yeah, we're at a good healthy amount of time too. But uh, it looks like we've ran out of notes, which is fine by me. And uh, we can get on with our evenings, and we're in the... Of course, I'm not going anywhere. It's going to be three below zero tonight. Yeah, it's getting down there again. It's going to start warming up this week, though, but, you know, yep. in the upper 30s. But that's way better than it's been. It's, I'm going to be in a sweatshirt if it gets to upper 30s. Yeah, it's, it's going to be balmy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, hopefully, too, we got some youth events coming up here. Hopefully, we can get rescheduled, get kids out on some pen birds and kind of give them that first intro like you said to watching a dog and hopefully get a flush right at their feet and uh, right and show yeah. them off a little this time of year but uh all right with that good joe um oh let's not forget to plug plug what you do for a living and uh and how people can reach you and kind of some of the things you do um i own i own a small business called transpace Stockworks, and what i do is i Pretty much, modif- I modify uh, gun stocks and fit people to uh, to the gun stocks. Um, 
So I, I do adjustable combs, adjustable bob plates, gray coils, those kind of things. I got away from refinishing and checkering and all that because it's just I, I I'm just the only guy here. I I, I can't mm-hmm. um, I can't afford that much time to one project like that. Um, so I'm, I also do a lot of instruction so, um, people can, uh, get a hold of me, check, check on my website, tronspace.com. Um, so basically uh, that's how they get a hold of me. All right. And I'll make sure to link that in the show notes so that people can find you there as well. But, uh, thank you for coming on and I appreciate it. And, uh, well, thanks for having me. It's good talking with you, Joe. I'll yeah. see you in March. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and we'll see about having a gentlemanly wager again for the the habitat. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, Joe. Thank you. Yep. Take it easy. Yep. Bye. Bye. I'd like to take a minute here at the very end to thank you all again for listening. Again, I appreciate it, and I appreciate those who support the podcast. If even if you would can please go through the process of rating, reviewing, uh, subscribing, sharing with a friend, any of the things that would publicize the podcast a little bit more and get out to a few more ears. Uh, you never know where our next fan will be found, and uh, hopefully you can help spread the word a little bit more about Bird Camp. If you want to contact us, of course, mi.birdcamp at gmail.com is the best way to do it. it might take me a day or two to respond, but uh, once it's in writing, you know, it's going to be easy to find and uh, get back to you with, as well as Bird Camp on Facebook and Bird Camp Pod on Instagram. Anyway, with those, again, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you, or you will hear me, on the next episode.